Ta-da. Ta-da. For those who didn't hear, Tim just did a drum roll to start the podcast. It was quite, it was a good one, actually. It was really good. It's quite satisfying. Well done. Proud of you. Well, it should be, Jess. I practiced drums for about eight hours a day for 10 years, so. That's very true. That's very yeah. true. That's very true indeed. Shall we talk about some marketing, Tim, rather than getting carried away? straight away well today in today's episode podcast extra we are going to be talking about a lot of exciting ai tech news yes we're talking about ai again yes we love it yes it's important so we're going to be talking about it and it's going to be impacting marketers at all levels so no matter who you are listen to this because it's super super important um we're going to be talking about some brands that some of our ninjas are loving at the moment um what, why you need to take care of your marketing assets, which I'm excited to hear about, Tim, because you were using some quite good metaphors and business. So I'm excited to see that. And we have two marketing fails with very important lessons that we talk about all the time. So I'm super, super excited to get into that. But Tim, kick off with our very important news. Yes. So the I, I think the most exciting thing for us geeks in SEO, and that let's be honest, there hasn't been much going on in SEO for the last sort of eight years or so. Um, has been all of the stuff around AI. No apologies. We cover the AI stuff a lot on the podcast. That's because it's massively important and hugely disruptive. And of course, you may have seen, you probably have seen if you're in the SEO world, Google's announcement uh, that they will be integrating AI into their search results pretty soon. I think within a matter of weeks, some people are getting access this week to early test it. And then it's going to be rolling out I think sooner than a lot of people expected, um, we knew that ChatGPT would be integrated in Bing some point in the spring. Um, and then Google has obviously decided, right, we're just going to stick out what we've got and we're going to get this thing working and we're going to get testing. So it looks super cool. It's called Bard. It's based on Lambda, which is their, uh, their chat technology, which um, got a lot of headlines last summer because one of the engineers working on it uh, believed that it was sentient. Um, so we know that it's pretty good. (laughs) Um, yeah. And they've shared some demos of what it looks like and I think it's going to be sick. Yeah. I think it looks looks really neat. I really like what they were saying about how, you know, sometimes questions don't have one answer depending on what you need. If you're going to Google and asking a question, what you need could be quite different to other people. And, um, they're going to be able to give much clearer, um, clearer answers. So, you know, there's an example of a question that's like, it can give you quick factual answers, like how many keys does a piano have? But people are going to be asking questions like, is the piano or the guitar easier to learn? How much practice does each need? Um, and mm. it's sort of able to use AI to kind of give you a more full answer, um, which is really, really exciting. And I think it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued in terms of how ready they were and what their plan was initially, um, because as you know, you can probably imagine they've had to speed things up a lot. Um, and I wonder actually how how long they were going to take. But I think they said they've been working on AI for the past like six years. Um, and they've been fairly, not loads quite about it because we already know about Lambda, but it's interesting. Um, they've really had to speed things up a tad. Or maybe they were scared to release it because they weren't sure what public opinion was going to be. And they've seen that it's actually been quite positive. Um, and they've been like, well, let's just go for it, which, yeah, I think is um, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, that's my my sense is that there are two concerns. Firstly, public opinion and then the legal ramifications. Like Google's had a bit of a hard time with publishers taking issue with Google using their content in featured snippets and stuff like that. And, you know, if they thought that was bad, this is answering informational questions with information and content sourced from the internet with no attribution whatsoever. So I think if you're like a major publisher that relies on traffic 
organic informational traffic from Google, your legal team is sort of, right, get the engine started. This is going to be a big one. But presumably from Google's perspective, they're like, we cannot lose market share. We cannot let ChatGPT come and upend our, our core business, the thing that makes us all the money. So, you know, let's just stick this thing out there and see what happens. I think really interesting looking at the examples that they've shared of when this is going to be triggered. So like you say, it seems like it's being triggered, um, at least in, in, in some of the stuff that they've shared. It seems like it's been triggered when there are different opinions that need to be weighed up or when it wants to combine different types of questions. So I think one of the, um, one of the use cases they said was, uh, tell me what the latest space, uh, James Webb Space Telescope discoveries would be for my nine-year-old. So that's like a that that's a piece of content that probably doesn't exist. So it first needs to find out what the what the latest discoveries are, and then it needs to run it through some sort of translation for a nine year old. I think that sort of use case makes total sense. The questions I have is, you know, what triggers these AI answers in the search results? Is it going to be just pure information? Is it going to replace featured snippets? Is it going to have a go at some commercial searches as well? Are we going to be able to influence it? through ads, like, it's really interesting. Now that they've released this new thing, this new beast into the search results, how are we going to be able to play with it? And as a marketer, honestly, how am I going to be able to manipulate it? That's immediately where the marketing thought goes is how do we manipulate this thing to get our business recommended by this chatbot? So, oh, it's, it's, yeah, fizzing. Love it. It's it's so interesting. It's, I think we're probably going to see a lot more casual sounding content maybe that's you know almost is in that chat type format um i Mm. think yeah it's going to be it's we almost can't predict how it's going to behave at all really whether it is just going to drag stuff from our own articles and run it through a translation to make it more chatty or are we really going to have to change the whole way that we write content yeah it's um Mm. it's exciting i think it's exciting i think you're right when you said you know the seo world hasn't really been shook up for a while and um, as much as it's nice for things to stay the same, I think this is pretty exciting. I think we're going to have to innovate a lot. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, though. I think that when ChatGPT came out, a lot of people were predicting the end of Google. For me, this is the play that they needed to make at the time that they needed to make to not count, cancel out the threat of ChatGPT. But this is the, for me, this is Google saying, wait, hold on. We've all got chatbots. That's not an innovation. Step aside. We are the search engine. I think this is a really bold play. And I back Google. If I had shares, I don't buy shares. I'm prime herd. I'm terrible in that sort of environment. But if I was if I was making bets on companies, I would say, right, this is the bet that Google needed to make to reassert their dominance as search. Um, the fact that it's it's going to be drawing from the internet, it looks like live, which is something that ChatGPT didn't do. Um, mm. I think, yeah, it's, it's a huge play and it's a very confident play. So I'm a big fan of it. It's not the only Google AI news this week either. Um, oh, interesting. The pace of change in this space is just mind-blowing. So Google's also invested $300 million in Anthropic, which is another AI company. And they made a chatbot uh, called Claude, which they haven't released publicly. But you, So a lot of people are saying, look, you know, why, why is Google doing this? A lot of the news coverage was around, well, they've bought a chat GPT competitor, but they already had their own chat GPT yeah. competitor. So why are they buying Claude? 
I, I suspect one of the big differences, one of the things that Anthropic is known for, there's two things Anthropic is known for. One of them is the fact that um, it was started by ex-OpenAI engineers. So a part of this uh, is going to be that you know, they might be investing in, in, um, in some of that expertise. Another thing, they're going to be using Google's, you know, Google's uh, cloud to, to sort of scale this. So a lot of these investments are kind of, we're going to give you the money, which you're then going to give back to us to rent our, our servers. So it's yeah, kind of, okay. We'll, we'll just take a bit of your. We'll just take a bit of your equity in return for you using our servers. But the, I think the really interesting thing about Anthropic is it's what's called constitutional AI. So they've got this theory about constitutional AI, which means that rather than being programmed by human reinforcement learning, so by, rather than most AIs, you know, there's a human saying that's the right answer, that's the wrong answer. Oh, you're talking about yeah, Donald Trump. Yeah. Don't talk about Donald Trump. That's a bit touchy. Well, this is it's based on a set of rules, a set of guiding principles, if you like, and then that's it. The humans don't touch it, um, and it sort of reviews its own answers and prompts itself. Ooh. And I think is what's really curious to me is whether Google is using this as a way of sort of pre-answering questions about monopoly, like how it's going to navigate this AI space. Is it going to use a more constitutional model to to regulate its own AIs? Um, and could that be a way that it uses to, you know, sort of get ahead and, and position itself as that ethical AI, you know, reducing harm is is the the goal of Anthropics AI, which is very different to, uh, to ChatGPT. So, yeah, super interesting. I'm a big fan of what Google's doing. They've come out. Completely. This is, if November, December, January belong to OpenAI, February so far belongs to Google. It was really, it was it's kind of funny because we have some more AI news just from across the board and it almost feels insignificant. Yeah. Um, and it feels like it's kind of like, oh, should we just, you know, but, um, but I think it is really interesting. It's like the next thing we want to talk about is how ChatGPT is doing a plus version where they'll be charging a $20 a month subscription fee. I wonder if they're panicking a bit because I expect Google will not be charging a subscription fee, um, but it potentially means they could make quite a lot of money in the meantime, because I think Google, they're going to take a little bit of time testing stuff. I know they said they're going to have some developers come on board as well as some, you know, different kinds of users so that they're getting a broad range of things. But the chat GPT plus, they're going to be, like I said, $20 a month for priority access, faster response times and early access to new features in, of in, and improvements. There will still be a free tier available, which I think a lot of people were like, you know, they can't just get rid of this. Um, but I think it's a perfect way to monetize it. I think it's great. Like they're still gaining mass usage and, you know, the masses are understanding AI and kind of feeling a bit closer to it. Um, but their power users are going to need to to pay, which are probably the people who are taking up the servers the most and who are using it for commercial gains. So I think it's great. I think it's a perfect way to monetize it. Um, and I think, yeah, I think they're still paving the way for um, for other AI companies. Um, and yeah, I think, I think ChatGPT, even if Google take them over, they will still be known as the ones that that change the game. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, nothing to add, really. I agree. I, th I know people, yeah. some people who've got the plus plan and they say it's you know really, really rapid. So, great. Mm -hmm. I think speed is a big thing here. Um, and people will be happy to pay for speed, for sure. Yes. Um, yes, absolutely. We also absolutely. saw Microsoft add some AI to its offering this week. Um, they did indeed. Yeah. Do you want to give us a bit of a preview yeah. on, on where it's showing up? I can do indeed. So I was quite excited about this because we see a lot of, um, especially in our AI conversations, we talk a lot about, you know, oh, you can use it to write a blog or you can use it to do a creative thing. You can use it to do this. Whereas Microsoft have added a AI section to Teams Premium, which is powered by OpenAI because of course it is, who is ChatGPT. 
Um, and it's basically administrative jobs. It's like if you're in a meeting, the AI will, you know, do take notes for you, figure out the important takeaways, capture the right action items and the people who need to action that after the meeting. It also divides the meetings into chapters um, so that you can go back to the sections you need like automatically. Um, and it also flags up if you left the meeting um, so you can come back and just watch the part of the meeting that you missed. And it also flags up when your name was mentioned. Um, but there's also amazing stuff as well. They've added like live translations so you can have meetings multi-language and um you know be able to understand everyone and um yeah it's just just amazing it's it's exactly what i love about ai stuff when it's being used to do mundane little jobs that mm. rather than taking away the creative jobs it's you know saving you time like you don't have to take meeting notes you don't have to figure out the actions because at the end of the meeting you can just press a button it goes yep yeah, this person's doing this this person's doing this oh somebody left halfway through it's all right they can come back and catch it later so yeah i think um, I feel like Teams gets a lot of um, of flack just because it was maybe a bit buggy during the pandemic when people just weren't used to it. And I actually think it's turning into a really, really good platform. Um, I hadn't really heard much about it recently. And yeah, I just thought it was awesome. Really, really awesome. Really exciting. The only, my own experience with Teams, every time I have a Teams meeting, it takes me about 10 minutes to get into it. So I've got to like download yeah. all these things and like update all this. I'm just like, why can't you just work? Um, but I, th I think it's really interesting how quickly Microsoft is rolling AI into its core products. Like you say, I think probably where AI is going to go for most of us is going to be a sort of co-pilot just sitting next to us, helping us with our jobs. Yes. There was another thing that they um, they showed a demo of the Viva sales thing, which from what I gather is Microsoft's like enterprise sales thing and it integrates with the CRM, it integrates with your email. So when, you, when you're getting a sales email, you know, the, the, the demo they said, Something like they, they received an email which said, what's the shipping time if we order 10 of these? And what the AI does is it goes into the CRM, it figures out 10 of what, it figures out all that stuff, it pulls through the company name, it pulls through the person, finds all the data, and then basically composes you an email, which is like the suggested answer. You can change that a bit, you can give it some prompts, you can, you know, give it a, you know, oh, the delivery time is going to be five weeks. And then it turns that into an email, which you can then just send, which I think is super cool. And this idea of like co-pilots, like you say, just sort of taking care of the, the mundane aspects of all of our jobs. No yes. one's going to miss that stuff at all. That is going to be so welcome and uh, and so important so yeah, yeah. all all for it like, freaking bring it on ai let's yeah no it's exciting it really is going. um dale mentioned in the chat on the the live recording of the podcast they found it interesting that google said they were already using lots of their ai things for like youtube video chapters that like appear automatically um, and i know they had a whole page where they were talking about things that are already using ai for like image recognition um, and, you know, there's loads of stuff that we've been able to do on Google for a long time, for instance, like reverse image searching. Um, and, you know, I've noticed I'll type in something um, and do a Google search and then I'll search something else afterwards. And it's like, oh, did you actually mean this? Because based on your last search, these two things actually go together. And I thought that was very, very, very interesting. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of companies are using it in smaller ways. And it's only just now ChatGPT kind of brought it to this like talking point, right? Yeah. And now everybody's kind of, it brought it to a wider understanding and a wider audience. And now people are like, whoa, possibilities. I think there was a lot about in, um, in Sundar's announcements, the CEO of Google, there was a lot about, you know, we've been using this for ages. None of this stuff's mm. new. Everyone's using our transformer technology. There was quite a lot of that, like flexing, like let's remember who the original yeah. AI OGs <laughs> are here. Like, come on, chat GPT, get out. I think there was a lot of that, and we're going to start to see a bit more of that sort of Google reasserting its dominance because it has been investing. I don't know if you've seen, there's a great documentary about 
um, the D- the DeepMind program that won uh, a beat uh, the world oh, champion yeah. at Go. And it's fantastic. It's really, you know, it's it's emotional. It's emotionally intense to see this yeah. this machine beating this human at this this ancient game, and that's so <laughs> sort of revered. And it's it's um it's quite amazing. And this happened in like I don't know, I want to say 2014, 2016, like mm. a long time ago. This is this is not a not a new thing. Google's been leading with AI, but sort of quietly and behind the scenes. So yeah, I think you're right about that. What's happening with um AI and Shopify? So you so, read a little bit about that. Yeah, another another OpenAI integration. <laughs> OpenAI is now integrating with Shopify. I'm a bit dubious about this one, to be honest. This mm. feels like one of those, like, quick, let's just get something in there. So basically, you can now integrate um, OpenAI uh, natively with Shopify. They've got this Shopify, I think Shopify Flow, it's called, where you can set up automations in Shopify. In Shopify. And you can integrate um, OpenAI. And basically, if you feed it in the demo, they show feeding it a product title and a product description. And then it goes away and comes up with some tags that you can add to your product. So trying to sort of automate one of the big problems in e commerce right, is if you've got huge inventory, and you've got to go in and you've got to write all the product descriptions and write all the tags and write all the meta descriptions, write all the product titles and all this stuff, and it all takes ages. And so I guess this is a, a way of sort of hopefully speeding up some of that stuff. Now, having said that, in the demos I've seen so far, the tags it's come up with are generic and crap. Um, so there is a question there where it's if, if, if everyone's using this and they're creating these generic rubbish tags for their products, is that tag category going to become useless, right? Just how meta keywords in the very early days of SEO, meta keywords were the keywords that you wanted your page to rank for and you just choose them. But of course, they got spammed to oblivion, they become meaningless. So all the search engines started ignoring them. There was some rumor that um, I think it was like AOL or someone actually penalized your site for any keywords that you included in meta keywords. So there's a question about like, if we just use AI to put garbage in and we get garbage out, is the thing that we're garbaging, is that just going to become ignored? Um, yeah. So I think this is more of a sign of Shopify's intent rather than king. They fixed it because the implementations I've seen look not worse than useless, but like one step up from worse. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It doesn't sound great. It sounds very um, rudimentary and almost like they could have done this a long time ago. It doesn't feel like there's any advancement. You know, it just feels um, feels quite lazy. And we had a comment from Lee on the the live podcast saying that they would love to see um, Google AI my weekly food shop. Um, and going back to what we were talking about Google earlier, one of the examples they gave that they was that they would, you could ask it to help you cook a dinner based on what was in your fridge. Um, so I think we'll probably be seeing that Lee. I think that kind of thing will be coming up. And I think, um, yeah, it's really interesting to think about the kind of questions that people will be asking and how marketers can create content based around that. It's um I, I honestly couldn't tell you how it's going to go. Manoj has, has uh, raised something really interesting. So web publishers are screwed. One of the most interesting things I thought about Google's announcement of in- integrating Bard with search results is that publishers weren't mentioned at all. That that word isn't mentioned. And that's kind of interesting, given that this is like a large language model trained on co- website content. So wait, where do the publishers fit into this? So I think, yeah, like, like we said earlier, Google got into a bit of trouble with featured snippets. Websites are like, wait, hold on. We used to get that traffic. Now it's just staying on Google. Well, this is, you know, it's going to be the same, but without any attribution. So I think as soon as we see, you know, copy, 
as soon as we see Forbes saying, Google used this piece, this this sentence that was on our website, this proprietary sentence, then then it's all going to kick off and things are going to get a little bit, uh, going to get a bit legal. Yes, so, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, before we nip on to brand of the week, Lee had asked a fantastic question about, I'd love to hear how you guys use AI. I think we could maybe come back to that at the end because we do not currently have a question of the week. So we can come back to that later. So stick around, Lee, and we will give us a bit of time to think about what we use it for because I can think of a few things off the top of my head that I use it for um, during my day-to-day work. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. We shall talk about a couple of brands of the week. I was feeling a bit uninspired this week, Tim. I'm going to be honest with you. So I did ask um, in the water cooler and ask some of our ninjas about some brands that they liked. Hence why we have two. Um, But I think they, I don't know if you're familiar with them. You're probably very familiar with the first one. Um, Maybe not so much the second, depending on how much YouTube you watch, how much, um, how many podcasts you listen to, because it's very saturated in terms of like influence marketing and podcast marketing. But we will start with the first one, which is We Buy Any Car. Now, Nicola um, mentioned this one. And initially, I was like, oh, I feel like that's being mentioned because they have really, really catchy TV ads, right? And then I remembered that they have one of my favorite landing pages of all time. It's so, so good. It's just incredible. Um, I think Tim's going to pop it up on the screen um, for people watching the live podcast, which if you're listening to this podcast later, if you head over to the Exposure Ninja podcast YouTube channel, you can watch this when it was being recorded live and see it. But I will describe this landing page to you. It says 30 second car valuation. It has a box for you to enter your vehicle registration. It has a box for you to enter your mileage. And then it just says, get my car valuation. That is all you need to do. And it also has five star on Trustpilot. We are rated excellent with over 160,000 customer reviews. And you press the button and you go. And yes, it asks you for more information on the next page, but it actually tells you quite a lot of stuff immediately. You know, it's not telling you to enter all this information yourself. It pulls through the information super, super quick and then asks you for more stuff. You know, it proves to you, yeah, we can do this for you. Give us your email address though, please. Um, Give us your phone number, please. You know, absolutely fantastic. Tim, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> it feels to me like that that first page is a bit like the Google homepage, isn't it? And I, I wonder if that's the sort of, um, if that's the model they use because the only thing, like it's so counterintuitive. We'd say you always want some content poking out above the fold because if you don't have anything poking out above the fold, then- I didn't even know there was more. I didn't even know that was there. So they've actually got content further down the page. They've got, obviously, you know, this is a brand that really understands SEO. So they've got a whole bunch of information and they've got, you know, blog posts and all sorts of stuff um, below the fold. They've got FAQs, they've got videos. They've got loads of stuff, but you would never know that it's there because there's no incentive to go below the fold, which is pretty cool. Um, I, I I do I do quite like the the user flow here, where you click get my car valuation. There's one minor issue I do have though. I've got to say, so you put your car yeah. registration, you put your mileage in, and you click get my car valuation. Now we know that there's going to be some sort of email capture on the other side of that. That's totally yes. fine. Good, absolutely. But they ask for email, they ask for postcode, and they ask yeah. for mobile, and they don't make any of these optional. And I wonder how much do they really need the mobile? Because for me, the email. I'm the not postcode, putting that in. Fair enough. <laughs> You're not putting that in exactly. So I just I put eleven that. zeros in that box. <laughs> I'm right. definitely not putting that in. You know, yeah, I'm, I would exactly. not be putting that in at all. So is it a deal breaker for them? Do they need that? I mean, the other there are other ways they could do that. They could say. 
you know, that, that they, they could ask for the mobile in order to validate car ownership or, you know, make up something, you know, to validate yes. your account or something like that, just to just to try and get you to um, to, to feel like this is absolutely needed. But um, yeah, I don't know. Other than that, I think this is, you know, this is this is wonderful. This is a yeah. this is an absolute beaut. It really is. And it's a great call to action. Get a valuation on your car. That is yeah. that is the CTA for this business. I think we often uh, one of the one of the there's no secrets or hacks for digital marketing, but if there was going to be, it's finding the perfect CTA for your business and then just going all in on it and just pummeling it to death. Um, and we've seen time and time again that finding the perfect CTA for your business is actually one of the most important things you can do. And the car valuation for this type of company is that. So. Yeah, yes. uh, great find, Jess. Well done. Yeah, well, it was Nick. So very, thank well, well you done, very Nick. much, Nick, if you are listening. And we had another brand of the week, which I wanted to talk about, which was put forward by Lucy um, called Manscaped. Now, if you listen to any podcast or watch any like YouTubers that kind of have a target audience of men, um, you will probably have had an advert for Manscaped. I kind of totally forgot about them because they just they didn't really stay on my radar, right? Because I'm not the target audience. Um, and I just have to say, the positioning is freaking awesome. They know their audience so, so well. You know, they use humor, but like sparingly. It's very, very smart the way they use it. It doesn't feel like it's a joke brand or that they're always trying to crack little jokes. It's used, it's almost feels more like an in-joke, right? You'll see something like, you know, I think um, one of their electric razors is called like the lawnmower or something funny like that. And it's just these little things that, you know, are kind of like a little in-joke, if you know, you know. And um it's just it just a smile in the mind. I've heard people <laughs> refer to that kind of thing before. Yeah, they have the weed whacker for the nose hair trimmer. It's just great. It really, really is good. Um, and also, I mean, I'm not sure if we can show it on the stream, but um, the logo is really smart. It's really funny. Um, and also, they just um, they donate loads to charity as well. Like their whole business because they sell, you know, male grooming kits um, for sensitive areas. They can really, even though they've started to expand they can really hone in and be like you know we donate to testicular cancer charities and really like get their positioning just perfect it's mm. just great i just mm. think it's awesome um i thought that was a really great suggestion from lucy i just thought it was fab <laughs> yeah, i agree uh, side note someone should invent a chrome plugin that automatically closes the cookie message on every website um yeah i i completely agree i think this is this is sick isn't it it's um yeah yeah, yeah. It's one of those where it feels like a slightly risky position to take because they are a bit tongue in cheek, you know, calling something yes. the weed whacker or uh, the crop preserver, stave off ball chafe. Like, personally, as a guy, this doesn't appear, appeal to me because it's a bit sort of gross and it suggests, like, I don't know, it's just a bit, ugh. But, yeah, um, yeah. But if you but, if you listen to the the kind of podcasts and stuff that these people are advertising in, you can almost visualize the target customer. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think it's almost they're trying to say we're luxury, we're high end, even though they aren't too expensive. And, you know, they're offering these bundles that have loads of money off and free shipping and free gifts yeah. and all this. So it's almost like offering that luxury for maybe a slightly less luxury audience. Um, yes. But yeah. 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 I th it's I not necessarily for everyone. Yeah, but that's the thing, right? If you're going to be really for some people, then you have to really be not be for for other people, isn't it? You can't. You can't make everyone freak out with excitement about your brand. Like you have to, you have to be exclusive and exclusive oh, means yeah. you're including some. So, I, I think sort of um, just being confident enough to own that and and to go for it, I think, is absolutely 
perfect for them. The thing I'm I'm slightly confused on, the overall look of the website for me is quite sort of high-end and tech-focused. There's mm-hmm. a lot of, um, it's almost like a, I don't know, like gaming um, sort of vibes where they're really glorifying the product and showing yeah. it all shiny and there's all these like, oh, I'm just charging those all fancy, fancy tech. And I don't know how that sits with the, you know, the weed whacker, the, you know, the no nonsense guy who's probably like just yeah. chopping down some logs in the back of his garden or whatever. Like, I, I don't know how that marries up, but it's probably, you know, universal truth that guys mostly like high tech stuff. So it's probably like a price of entry yeah. for this market, perhaps. Um, could well be, could well be. I've, yeah. I've definitely, the YouTubers that I've seen sponsored by it have all been gaming YouTubers who are guys so maybe uh, that is something maybe there has been some market research done and they've realized oh okay people do like these in jokes and these puns and they also like tech so yeah there's definitely a lot of um i think there's probably i think they've done a lot of research because this has been around for a while um yeah. so i expect that they've probably tested a bunch of stuff um so yeah yeah and dale made a very good point on the live on the live stream saying it being gaming slash tech influence is very in keeping with the most common sponsorship influences and that's so true so so yeah. true um, mostly gaming and sports influencers absolutely i think one big lesson for any dtc brands um from from this is how they are using bundles to increase their average order value mm-hmm. one of the problems with, like customer acquisition costs particularly for selling selling a, a, a razor um and you know that thing is whatever like 50 60 pounds and you end up paying like 30 or 40 pounds per acquisition you need to make sure there's a back end. Otherwise, you're losing money or you're breaking even on a product that people might only buy, you know, every one year, two year, three year, I don't know how long these things are. So you need to make sure that there's some sort of consumable, which they have done with their, um, you know, like their sprays or their lotions or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then they're offering it all in a bundle to sort of force you into that world of buying these products. Um, straight from the yes. word go whilst increasing yeah. the you know increasing average order value so i think that's super smart and a yeah, lot of really DC brands are having to do this now that the whole world is um focused on profit rather than let's just see how many customers we can acquire at a loss so yeah really smart great examples boom smashed it yeah fantastic and talking of marketing lessons tim what is your marketing lesson of the week because i had a quick read and i thought it sounded absolutely fantastic so tell us tell us let's hope it is (laughs) i'll try and remember all right so this is the concept of marketing assets so this came about because i was um actually writing a video script for our books we've used books and exposure ninja over the years to generate leads and um the first how to get to the top of Google. The first version of that book I wrote in uh, 2011, I think. I was in a grotty house share in Bristol, uh, sat on my bed, door locked, um, and just cracked out a book on how to get tradesman websites to the top of Google. And that, it took me probably a week to write the thing. And that has generated, you know, it's been iterated. There's lots and lots of work that's gone in over the years, but that marketing asset has generated, I don't know how many leads, tens of thousands, and it's generated millions in revenue. And it's given, I don't know, 40, 50 people like permanent employment over that time. And it got me thinking about this idea of marketing assets. In in business, in finance, you have assets and you have liabilities. And the assets are the things that you invest time in and they produce income, they produce stuff for you. And exactly the same is true in, in marketing. You can put your time into, whether it's a piece of content or a particular strategy or buying a product or buying a company that can produce you leads sort of in perpetuity. 
And some of these can be totally passive. Some of these can be sort of midway between passive and active, and some of these can be active. So some examples of uh, marketing assets which are active. So this podcast, for example, is an example of a marketing asset for us, but it's active in that we put time into recording it every every week, and you know we put time into promoting it. And if we don't do that, eventually it tails off. Um, marketing assets, which are sort of maintenance so you've got to put a bit of time into maintenance, but on the whole, once you've put time in, you know, you get some benefit of things like SEO or PPC. Once you write content for your website or you optimize your website, then you get a certain amount of, you know, a certain amount of visibility. And then of course you need to build links. You need to add more content over time. But what if, when you stop doing that activity, that visibility doesn't immediately disappear to nothing. The same with PPC. You need to keep your campaigns optimize, you need to keep them, you know, sensible if you want to continue lowering CPA. But once you stop managing your PPC on a like day to day basis, it's not like the whole thing just collapses into a heap and catches on fire or stops working altogether. And then you've got things like the the sort of passive marketing assets, a bit like the book, right? So we invest a lot of time and energy each year to update the book, we actually don't really need to we choose to but we don't really need to. Um, and that thing just keeps on generating us leads year after year. And I've helped, uh, we've helped a couple of clients now who've been thinking about writing books. Books are a great marketing asset. Once they get visibility on Amazon, they bring in, you know, they, they get readers on their own. And if they've got lead generation components in them, they bring you leads like every month, forever and ever and ever. And yeah, it, it just got me thinking about this idea of marketing assets and how much of a marketer's time is spent building passive assets like that, do the work once, they live forever, they generate leads forever, versus doing the sort of day-to-day churn and burn tasks, which have to be maintained all the time. Those things are really important, but I think sometimes it's also important for us to step out of those and say, right, what could we build over the next three to six months, which once built is gonna generate us loads and loads of traffic for, in our case, you know, more than a decade now. So yeah, that's my lesson of the week. Go and build some marketing assets. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. I think a lot of people um, want to just put in the things that are fast and get done really quick. And there's just not like, not everything can be like that. Some stuff like SEO, for instance, does take six months plus to work. But once it works, it's pretty much always working. So yeah, I think people need to, um, need to, you know, prioritize things depending on their goals really and yeah exactly and and don't be afraid to like take some time out to put in some work to build something amazing you know i know i know that you and dale and the ian marketing team have been building a knowledge base and this is you know this is a huge project but once it's built it will be there and it will be driving traffic for ages um by the way so people in the comments on YouTube have been asking questions. We know that you've been asking questions. We read every single one of them, but because this is an audio podcast as well, we save the questions till the end and then we go through them. Otherwise, it means we it's very difficult to listen to if we're constantly yes. answering questions that the listeners can't see. So feel free to ask questions and we will answer them all at the end. Yes. And if you want to um, ask any questions and you're listening to this later, you can always email us at hello at ExposionNinja.com with the subject line podcast and we will answer your questions um, in the next podcast. But in the meantime, we are going to talk about some marketing fails of the week. I don't know if you've seen these yet, Tim, um, but I chose two that I had seen personally um, just popping up on Instagram. Tim said a while ago that he keeps a folder of 
um, just terrible ads he's seen. And I'm also building this habit. So um, yeah, <laughs> I, I found quite a few funny ones. And one that popped up for me recently was in the UK um, last week, there was a teacher strike because of pay. And on the day of the teacher strike, I had an advert from Get Into Teaching that said, new minimum starting salary of 28K, get into teaching. After I had not done any research into teaching, I had not, um, you know, been on their Instagram. So it wasn't like it was a case of retargeting. Um, and this is a lesson that we've spoken about in the past, which is essentially read the room. You know, it seems like to me, it seemed like they had put some more money behind these adverts because I hadn't seen them before. I hadn't seen them for a long while. And then the next day I got one on YouTube as well. Um, so it seems like they'd chosen to push these more um, and chosen to focus on money, which is also the reason that people are striking. Um, and so what happened is now I'm like, I don't like these people. They can go away. That was really felt really inappropriate. I don't know what you think about this, Tim, whether you think that it was actually the opposite and maybe they were targeting people who are like silly people striking. I'll become a teacher instead. You know, maybe that was the that was the vibe. Obviously, I saw it and I did not think that. So yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I I imagine that the comments that they would have been getting and the DMs they would have been getting from these ads would have been pretty brutal. I wouldn't want to be on that social team. <laughs> Um, yeah. I think, yeah, like you say, read the room, but also if you're running ads and you know you have a duty to be aware of macro factors and stuff outside your immediate business, which might affect how those ads are seen and the context in which those ads are seen. So, you know, we saw this when the queen died, for example, lots of brands pulling back on advertising. They didn't want to appear insensitive. I think there's probably a tendency to overcorrect in, in that way, but you know, in this case in, in particular, if you're selling teaching courses and the teachers are going on strike because they're unhappy with conditions, then that is, you've got to be aware that, that your audience is going to not be particularly well aligned during those days because of the larger conversations that's going on. So I think it's just bad ad practice, to be honest. Um, it's going to be a waste of money. Yeah. People aren't going to click. The, the people yeah. who would have clicked the day before probably wouldn't click on that day or afterwards yeah. because they would feel like it was inappropriate. Um, so it could well be a waste of ad money. Um, the next ad that I saw that I thought was very much marketing fair, I think Tim might pop it up on the screen if you're watching live, which as I've said, you can watch over on the YouTube channel. But if you're not, I will describe it to you. It is basically somebody holding two things that kind of look like disposable razors, but they have lights on them where the, the blade would be. And it, they're just holding two, one's, one's red and one's blue. And it says one for you, one for your boo. Buy this, get this one free. Great. What is it? <laughs> what are you selling me? I have no idea. I have no clue what this means. I don't know why you think I would want to buy it. I don't know anything. I'm going to have to go onto your Instagram or what does it, does it say shop now at the bottom? I don't want to shop now. Shop now I don't yeah. even know what it is. You know, it's, it's a great example of an ad that's been made with some, they think that you know their brand. They think you know what they're selling. Whereas they're selling a product that I, I just don't know what it is. Like if this was like toothbrushes, you know, immediately that's a toothbrush because of the way it looks. Whereas these, they need an explanation, right? I have no idea what these products are for, what they do. Is it some weird sound device? Is it something for your skin? Is it something for your teeth? like absolutely no idea turns out it's laser skin treatment thing um but it definitely feels like a retargeting ad right it feels like they were showing it to me as if i'd already seen them and i hadn't i had no idea who this brand was i hadn't seen anything yeah it's some weird device that you swipe across your face and it's meant to um treat your skin for something 
don't okay, know. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's also one of those websites looking at it where it's kind of like, I don't still don't really understand, you know, the before and after is, is quite far down. Um, you, instead, there's a lot of CTA pop-ups as well, which are just a bit, um, a bit much, but I can see that Tim scrolled quite far and I'm still kind of like, okay, what is this? Um, so yeah, it, but it was really, it doesn't matter. The website's almost irrelevant because the advert was that terrible that I yeah. was just like, I, and it, it's not like it builds intrigue either. You know, it doesn't build intrigue. I'm just like, I don't get this. This isn't for me next. Um, you know, you have a couple of seconds and especially in Instagram ads to grab people's attention and for them to not swipe by. And there's no, um, you know, no intrigue being built here to make you want to move on to their website. I just feel like I'm out of the loop and that it's just not for me. And that's it, really. <laughs> I feel uh, this This is a pattern, right? I've seen, yes. so I'd say probably one in three Instagram ads I see now, I've got no idea what they're for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I, I have a screenshot folder now of these just random, it's like, it's a black thing where it says just buy now and there's a brand name. I'm like, what the... I can only imagine that these are retargeting ads that have gone wrong. And there's something going on with Instagram's audience targeting, maybe to do with, uh, you're probably not, you're on iPhone, aren't you? So Mm -hmm. maybe to do with iOS 14, I don't know, where where they're unable to, you know, identify the audience or they're making some mistakes. So I think if you're an advertiser, you've got to be really careful to make sure you're not assuming any prior knowledge, even in your retargeting ads, because the amount of this rubbish that's coming through, and it's just, it's like, it's meaningless to, to, to new people. It's assuming you know what the product is. It's assuming you know the price point. And we actually know nothing about anything to do with this business. You may as well just you know have a black box on the you know in the middle of the screen say buy it so yeah, yeah. um yeah, yeah. must be something going wrong here because this Absolutely is really terrible. odd and it seems to be increasing like every time i go on instagram now i'm seeing ads of random ambiguous products <laughs> yeah yeah it's just not it's just not good but i thought they were two quite good examples and as i've said we right. we talk about this quite often in terms of read the room and yeah. also um understand that not everybody has seen your seen your product before um so yeah that's all of our normal segments for the week. But Tim, we have a couple of questions that have come up in the chat, which is wonderful. We had a fantastic question from Lee, which was that they would love to know how we use AI. Um, and I suppose I use it somewhat professionally and sometimes I use it for other stuff. Um, but I'd be intrigued to know what you've kind of used it for, even if it's not necessarily marketing related. I think it's thinking outside the box and thinking about those things can actually be quite helpful. So I'm intrigued. Uh, yeah, I've been it's difficult because i use it so much for work and investigating ai that i don't really have any sort of non-work time in my entire life but but i think it's quite good for brainstorming i quite like brainstorming with it just bouncing ideas around and if you if you say to chat gpt you know i'm trying to come up with an idea for this um and here's my sort of background situation help me brainstorm then it will actually ask you decent questions and sort of help you understand and develop your uh, your thought process around something so i use it quite a lot in that sense but how about how about you just i've also got some ideas about how our content team uses it and how we don't use it and our yes. position on it for seo which i can go into after but yeah, no, that's what, bad. What, yeah. what's the typical sort of daily ai usage for you yeah so i like to use it if i'm struggling to come up with ideas like if i'm having a head empty moment and i can't really um crack on with stuff like instead of just sitting there trying to think of something i'll use chat gpt and be like hey could you write 10 titles in this tone of voice for something? And then it will help me. Normally it doesn't return something that I want to use, but it will help me think, oh, okay, I could have thought about this. Or like, yeah. for instance, 
if I'm writing a video and I need an example of a business, I will bung it in and be like, hey, could you give me some examples of businesses? Because I literally forgot every business type that has ever existed in the world. Um, so it's really useful for that. And like just making templates, like sometimes I'll be like, I need to write an email that has like problem agitate solution or something. Could you give me an example of one? And then I won't necessarily use that for my email, but I'll kind of see, oh, okay, this is how it was used in this situation. This is how I would use it. Um, and yeah, it can be it can be pretty useful. Like I definitely want to use it more in terms of my personal life. For like, I've got these things in my fridge. What can I make? Um, because that's definitely something I struggle with. So I think um, it would be like really, really useful for that. But yeah, I'd love to know what the content team are using it for and what we're not using it for. I've heard a little bit um, back and forth about it, but I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more about that. Yeah, we've our policy is sort of we're, we're still finding our way with it. It's really difficult. So. Just to give a bit of context, uh, one of the things that we do for clients is we write content for clients' websites. So we write content for their main pages on the site, we write content for blogs. And of course, the one of the first uses that everyone sort of imagined about AI was now it can write a lot of content for us. And there are tools like Jasper AI, which you can say, go and, you know, go and write this article and it'll write an article for you. So the immediate sort of assumption by the marketing world is, well, AI is just going to write all of our blog content, tick, that's just done and, and off we go. Um, we've actually found that the quality is not good enough to just let the AI write the content. And then on top of that, we've got the whole Google considerations and helpful content updates. So Google's helpful content update, when it first came out, said we want uh, to reward content that's written by people for people. And why would you say by people? Like who else writes content? Yeah, AI yeah. is the only other thing that writes content. So clearly Google was saying don't publish AI content. Then Danny Sullivan's come out and said, actually, it's not that quite clear cut. We don't necessarily have anything against AI content. Um, but internally, our risk appetite at exposure injuries is quite conservative. So we are saying to clients and anyone who's listening, basically, at the moment, don't publish AI content as is on your website. We have to assume that Google has some way of working out if it's AI. Um, so that just feels too risky, given that in that same helpful content update, post they're talking about like site-wide penalties for, for sites that, that publish low quality content but even with you know even with that without that sort of um theological argument there's also just a quality issue that it's very rare that you get an ai written article which is like really awesome and if you are just publishing ai stuff then clearly there's no human expertise there's no sense of your personal experience of whatever you're writing about which is a wasted opportunity because the goal isn't just to publish stuff that gets ranking. The goal is to publish stuff that gets ranking and convinces people to do business with you. Um, so we, we, our content team does use AI, but we use it to do things like brainstorm titles, um, brainstorm outlines for things, and then we will write the, you know, we'll write the article. We can use it for brainstorming, but we don't publish anything that's AI written. It just feels too risky. Yeah, completely agree. We actually um, published a video a couple of weeks ago about um, is AI the future of marketing and um, one of the things that we covered in there was, um, you know, blog content and the blog that was produced, you know, even though I feel like we gave it good prompts, we were like knowledgeable, but friendly, a little bit like more playful. It just was, it was just mundane, but like Wikipedia, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. felt like Wikipedia article, very, very factual. Um, and yeah, just wasn't really, wasn't really what we were after at all. So um, Ivona in the comments has asked, how about using AI for product descriptions? I guess this ties a little bit back to the Shopify open AI um, integration as well and i expect that shopify wants to get to a stage where open ai can write product descriptions as soon as possible i think you know fundamentally there's nothing wrong with that suggestion i think the danger is that you give uh, a tool like 
a GPT type tool, you say this is a you know a black phone case uh, for an iPhone 12 Pro Max, and then that's all the input that you give it, and then it just fluffs that out into like three paragraphs of here's why you need a phone case, here's what a phone case is, and like that is like 98% garbage because the only useful information there is the fact that it's black and it's a you know the particular phone. So nothing against. AI for product descriptions. I personally, if it was my site, I probably would use it, but I'd give each, um, uh, for each product, I'd make sure I had loads and loads of attributes to give the AI plenty of information to work from. I don't think that e-commerce is just about uploading a product catalog with a skew and a few attributes and then off you go and then hope that it sells. I think where you see that Manscaped site was a great example, right? Look at how hard it's selling these products. Look at the energy it's putting into the beautiful product uh, photography, how these things are presented, the personality in the copy. Like that's what sells stuff online. What sells stuff online isn't just like, here's a one picture of a product. You can't really see what it is, low resolution, and then just some generic copy about that product. So I, I think, yeah, the, the danger is that it's used as a shortcut and, and that under you know that's that's a missed opportunity really yes yeah no i completely agree we had um, another question this which will be our last question of the day which was um somebody saying they're a photographer a very small business and they asked for a phone number i think this is harking back to um we buy any car asking for a phone number um when there's a car valuation now i think and you were saying as well amanda that you call every client to ensure they're a good fit so it really depends on the stage of the journey if i was looking on your website and I, um, let's say, wanted to download, let's say you created a downloadable about um, wedding photography and what it's like to have a wedding photographer and the things that are expected, right? And I wanted to download that. I wouldn't want to give you my phone number because I'm not quite ready. I'm still learning about that and still wanting to read about it. I don't want you to ring me. That, that fills me with fear. And it's the same with We Buy Any Car, right? I just wanted to be able to go on there and get a car valuation and just have them you know, send me an email or just pop it up on my screen and say, you could probably get about this based on what we've seen of your car, but I don't want somebody to ring me. I was actually, I think we talked about this on a previous um, podcast. I was buying a car and I had looked to see how much I could get for my existing car. And I had somebody call me five times. And one of those phone calls was at eight o'clock in the morning. And I answered and I was like, I really don't want to talk to you. I don't, I'm not ready to buy a car yet. Um, and actually, the person on the other end of the phone was like, I am so sorry. This has happened three times this week where people haven't been ready. And um, I don't know what's happening. And I was like, you know, I was really kind to them. You know, I was like, I totally understand that you're working in sales. And I know you've been given my number to make the sale. And I totally get it. But I was like, something's going wrong here. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a difference. So if if you're making it clear that you're taking their phone number so that you can contact them to make sure that you're a good fit that's great. That's, that's awesome. But if it's because, you know, they're downloading something for your website or they just want it to look at prices, then that's where there's a problem. You know, I just want to look at prices on my own and just have a think. I don't want to have to ring you for you to go. It's going to be this much. And then for me to very embarrassedly have to say, I'm really sorry, I can't afford you. And it just feels really awkward. Right. So there's all these different elements there. So I think, yeah, it very much depends on the stage of the user journey. Totally agree. If in doubt, you know, you often see those, um, a little, uh, a little box that you can check Yeah, preferred method of communication email phone and that just allows us sort of introverts to avoid any sort of phone contacts which is basically everyone's 
which is a lot of people's worst nightmare. There's some study about yeah. like the, the the lengths that Gen Z will go to to avoid a phone call and that receiving a phone call is basically categorized as about as rude as someone smashing through your front door and helping yourself to, to food from your fridge. So I, I think that there's that component. But yeah, like you said, just as long as it's as long as it's uh, sensible for the stage of the customer journey, then that's absolutely fine. Would say though, if you're going to be asking a phone number and you're making it a requirement, just be aware that there are going to be people that are going to be put off by that. So make sure mm-hmm. that there is a secondary call to action, which is softer, which is, you know, download the guide to whatever, looking amazing yeah. in yeah. photos or, you know, something like that, which implies that someone's in the in the market for the thing that you're offering, but it's just a little bit softer. Then they can yes. get warmed up through your automated email sequences because you watch the emails video. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, you can sell to them over time. Yeah, I would say as well, if you are finding that you're getting a lot of people getting in touch who aren't a good fit, um, maybe there are some ways that you can position yourself so that people are kind of disqualifying themselves before they contact you. So you can make it sort of clear, you know, this kind of maybe isn't um, for them. So for instance, if you know, you've got all these absolutely gorgeous photos on your website, or like, for instance, if somebody's asking for a baby photo shoot, right, and that's not something you do, um, it's a case of making it clear that you are this type of photographer, or you don't do this, but you do do this. Um, and then you're going to get less of those people contacting you um, asking for stuff that you don't offer, basically. Boom. Mic drop. Yeah. Mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> but don't, don't be afraid to ask for a phone number. Honestly, don't be afraid yes. to ask for it, but just make sure you're catering for people who don't want it. Cool. <laughs> Great. I think we've done an episode, Jess. We have indeed another one. Episode 10, maybe? I episode think. Episode 10. It's our 10th episode anniversary. And this it format is. seems to work, and hopefully, it's people are showing fun. up it and they're not, they're not throwing things. Well, they might be. We can't see them. Yeah, throwing things at their computers and smashing yeah. their own screens. We're safe here behind our little screens, our little home offices. Great. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Before we go, before we go, before Tim hits that end broadcast, if you would like a review of your business, of your marketing and your website, you can head to ExposureNinja.com slash review. It's totally free. Um, Not as we've said, maybe it's not for you. Maybe (laughs) you're not at that stage yet, but um, go submit for a review anyway. It's great. And it's done by real people. It's not done by AI. As much as we enjoy talking about AI, it's not done by AI. That was a really terrible introduction to the free review. (laughs) <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't I, the best. It wasn't the best, Jess. It wasn't the best, but... <laughs> I got caught off guard. Dale was like, where can I find a free review? And I was like, I'm panicking. I need to get this in before Tim ends the broadcast. The free review is is genuinely amazing, though. It's We've had people it say, is. this is the best thing I've done for my business this year. Um, so it really is good. So go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review to request your free review. If you do nothing else for your marketing, having embarked, having encountered Exposure Ninja somewhere on the internet, then go and request your free review. Right, that's enough for that. See you next week. Bye.